0: Welcome to the Indianola First podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians for quite some time, right? Pastor Barry, when did we start this journey in our book of Ephesians? 18 weeks, so we're on part 18 of Ephesians. It's been great, hasn't it? We, uh, We dug into this book. I mean, we have dug, so... You know, if you ever hear someone say that um, there's no uh, there's no expository preaching at First Assembly, Eesh, man, we got 18 week- weeks worth of it here. Okay, we've been digging into the Book of Ephesians, and it's been great. Tim, there's a, just a little bit of ringing. Should I use the other microphone? Move it down. Check, check. Is that good? Okay. So we've been digging in for uh, 18 weeks, and. I don't have time to go over everything. Uh, We're getting to that place where we talk about so much that it would take us the entire sermon just to cover what we've already covered. And so I want to give you this morning a flyby, a condensed version of basically kind of what we have talked about. So chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, we talked a lot about or In fact, Paul talked a lot about to the Ephesians um, the fact that they are part of a new family. And he hammered it. I mean, he just over and over again, he hammered it on chapter 1 through chapter 3. And he let them know that they were adopted into a new family. So what is this family? For those of you maybe that are new or haven't been following, um, there's this family of God called the Jewish nation, right? Israel, the Jewish nation, had a relationship with God. Uh, They were a family. And up until the point of Jesus, nobody could really access God. Nobody could be a part of this family unless you were born Jewish or maybe you converted to Judaism, which didn't happen very often. So it was kind of like an exclusive family. It was like an exclusive club. Excuse me. And then Jesus comes along, and he gives us access to this brand new family. And so for the first time in history, these people called the Gentiles, uh, that's everybody that's not a Jew. So for pretty much all of us in this room, uh, we are Gentiles, right? So we as Gentiles, or the Gentiles specifically that he's talking to in Ephesians, have been adopted into a brand new Family. And so he talks about this new family and he talks about what it means to be a part of this new family, especially in chapter four through chap- chapter four, chapter five, chapter six. Uh, Paul starts talking about okay, now that you know you're part of this new family, what does it mean to live in this new family? Okay. How many of you, and, and some of you are probably going to have to think harder than others in this room, but if you can think back to the first time you ever went to somebody else's house, okay. Think about that for a second. Get that picture in your mind. The first time you went to somebody else's house, I don't know what your experience was the first time you went to somebody else's house, especially if you spent a long time in their house with their family, but if you've ever done that, you probably realize that their house culture is different than yours, right? See, we had this idea growing up that, you know, because it's familiar, that everybody's house and everybody's family functions the same way that ours does, But then we go to somebody else's house and we realize, oh, not everybody works the same way that we do. And so let let me give you an example. I went to my friend Nathan. Uh, He was one of my best friends growing up. Went to his house, lived right across the street, went there for a sleepover one night. And um, his mom, bless her heart, her name's Carol. She's an amazing woman. I would not be standing here today uh, without her. Uh, She was a uh, Jesus loving witnessing machine, okay? Um, But she was strict. And back in those days, this is like the 80s, you know. Um, there was a big deal, you know. There was, there was a big thing between secular music and Christian music. And in her house, you did not listen to secular music. You listen to Christian music. Well, her son was a little rebellious at this time, um, unbeknownst to me. So he's like, "Hey, Jared, you want to come over? We're going to have a sleepover. We're going to stay up late and watch some music videos." Yeah, awesome. Sounds great. So I went over, and I'm all jacked about the sleepover. And she's like, "Hey, hey, what are you guys get, Jared? What are you going to be doing tonight?" Um, I said, "Hey, we're just going to be watching some some music videos late at night," and all of a sudden, she, her 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 smile goes. Nathan, <laughs> you know? and he gets uh, and he gets to talking to, you. and then he comes to me afterwards. He's like, "Dude, what are you selling me out to my mom? What are you doing?" I'm like, "In my house, we watch music videos whenever we want to. It's not a big thing, you know." Um, and I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and so. You know, it was, you know, kind of whatever goes. But um, so I, you know, I did, so I learned very quickly. There's things in other people's homes that you do not do. There's house rules, right? Whether they're spoken or whether they're just understood. There's house rules in everybody's house that you go to. And so, Pastor Barry last week, and finishing up chapter four, um, he talked about some house rules. And really, chapter four, five, and six are basically kind of God's house rules. Like now that you're a part of this family. This is how we live. Okay, This is the house rules. And so chapter 4 last week, Pastor Barry ended up by talking about four particular house rules. Um, anybody have, oh, you guys, you guys, now they know. All right, so don't lie. I was going to test you. That's all right, though. Uh, don't lie. Don't be controlled by anger. Don't steal. Clean up your language. Okay, those were four, and those were don'ts, obviously, the don't house rules of Chapter 4. And so that he starts in this process of talking about when you're part of this family, this is how you act. And we're going to keep expounding on that um, this morning. But, you know, I talked about there's things that you don't do. But then there's also things in other people's houses that they do uh, and are expected that may not be expected in your house. Right? I'll give you another example from same same person, same family. I got invited over for pizza night to my friend Nathan's house. And uh, I walked in all the lights were off, and there were candles, and I thought, oh, Lord, what did I get myself into? Is this a seance? What's going on here? Um, I guess that was their, to this day, I don't really know why they did that. He's coming in a couple of days, I'll ask him, Um, but they were having pizza night, and uh, they evidently do that by candlelight, I guess, so uh, it was very romantic. It was amazing. (laughs) That's, That's weird. Sorry, I just made it weird, but so we sit down, the pizza gets sliced up, everybody gets one on their plate, and I start mowing down, right? You probably know where this is going. And everybody, in the, everybody at the table's got their hands folded just looking at me. And, you know, it's one of those things where nobody says anything until I, until I like, look up. And I put my pizza away, right? Um, what was I missing? You pray, right? Again, I, not growing up in a Christian house, we didn't pray before we ate, so that was foreign to me. Thank the Lord that he's changing my family tree, and that's part of what we do every time we sit down as a family to eat now. But um, in those days, I had no idea. So there are things that you do at other people's houses and things that you do not do. They're the house rules, right? Uh, and so this morning, I want to jump into Chapter 5 with you, and we're going to talk about some house rules. So really, we're just going to have a continuation of what Pastor Barry started last week by just kind of talking through some of these house rules that God put up for us. Because how many know it's important to know how to live as believers? And we're going to talk about why that's so important um, in just a second. But it's important to know what God expects from us as part of his family because his family is different. I mean, you think about what we come from, right? We come from the world. We come from a dysfunctional system. This world is broken and it's dysfunctional, even at its best. It's dysfunctional, right? So now all of a sudden, when we say yes to Jesus, we get translated, and I talked about it this morning, from a kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of this world, to the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has completely different ways of living than the kingdom of darkness. Healthy ways of living. How many of you have ever gone from a dysfunctional home, or a home where there's some dysfunction? Okay. How many of your families put the fun in dysfunctional? <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I should say yes to that, or... Nah, um, you know, some, some of us come from places of dysfunction, and then you come to a place of health, and it's weird, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, and I'm, I'm not throwing my family under the bus, but I think every family has a little bit of dysfunction in their homes, and um, I remember one particular time, we went over to our, counsel, we had a counseling pastor on staff at, at, in Sioux Falls at First Assembly of God, and we went over to his house, we were invited over there for something, and his granddaughter was there, and the way that this man talked to his granddaughter made me very uncomfortable. It was very awkward. You know, saying things like, oh, you are the most beautiful, not in a weird way, in a good way. You're the most beautiful girl in the world. Oh, you are so amazing, and you are so awesome. And he just kept affirming her with these words, and I just was like, oh. I I felt so uncomfortable. Why? Because I hadn't experienced that level of health before. And it was weird, and it clicked in my mind like, hey, there's something I've been missing for a lot of years. You know, I think that this is normal. I think that this is healthy. But I feel very awkward in this place. For a lot of us, when we get translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we come into the kingdom of God, which is a healthy place. And a lot of us have a very hard time acclimating to the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? It takes us a while to get it Figured out. It takes us a while of renewing our minds to get to a place where we feel comfortable because we've come from such a dysfunctional place. And so, if you're that person this morning who's feeling very uh, like like you're not good enough for the kingdom of God, like you continue to, to mess up or you continue to be very uncomfortable, it's okay. We all feel that way at first. We all feel that way in our discipleship journeys because we're coming from a place of dysfunction to a place of health, right? And it's a good thing and it's a good change. But so how do, we, how do we live in this area of health? Well, God gives us these guidelines to follow, these rules to follow. So let's talk about the, health, health, the house rules. I got seven of them for you, okay? I promise I'll get you out of here on time this morning, but I got seven, okay? We're going to go through some of them fairly fast. Um, but let's talk about them this morning. Chapter 5, verse 1 starts us off. Um, the first house rules, do imitate God. So there's do's and don'ts this morning. So we're going we're to vacillate between do's and don'ts. That was a good word, vacillate. That's going to look that up. Um, Ephesians 5.1, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. Imitate, what does that mean? What does that mean to imitate God? I mean, we have a pretty good understanding of what imitate means, right? But the word there, imitate, comes from the Greek word mimetase, mimetase. It's where we get the English word mimic, okay? So we mimic God in the things that he does. And what does that look like? We're really going to go into depth with that here a little bit later in the sermon, but suffice it to say, it's to mimic God, to learn his ways and to act like him and be like him as much as possible. Now, notice at the end of that verse, it's interesting because it says, um, imitate God because you are his children. And I thought it was interesting as I was studying this out because the thought came to me that it doesn't say imitate God and become his children. It says, imitate God because you are his children. That's an important distinction to make, isn't it? Because we don't act right and then become children of God. God takes us right where we're at. So maybe you walked in here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm glad the roof didn't cave in on me when I came in this place because I don't belong here. (laughs) Let me tell you, you belong. Because God doesn't ask you to clean up. He doesn't ask you to act a certain way. He'll take care of that stuff later by the power of his Holy Spirit when you cooperate with him in, in your spiritual journey. But when you walk in here into this place or wherever you happen to meet Jesus, you don't need to clean up to become a child. You become a child and then you clean up. So I thought that was a really cool. I'd never seen that in that verse before reading through it. House rule number two. House rule number two. Do live a life full of love. Ephesians 5, 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The word love here is the Greek word agape, okay, agape, you probably heard it said. You know, Greek is interesting because in our language, we have basically one word for love, right, love, that's it. And that word love can, that ranges a whole gamut of things, right? I love the cubs, I love my wife, I love peanut butter cups, I love my kids, right? So it means a whole lot of different things. Um, but what's interesting about Greek is they have four words for love. They have brotherly love, they have um, sensual love, they have uh, this word agape, or they have uh, yeah, phileo, they have um, sensual love, they have this word agape. Agape means like the love of God. It, it was kind of a new word that was introduced in the New Testament because it was a word for love between God and his people and the love of God between People of God. Okay, it's a very specific type of love, and that's the word that's used here. And so, and and this verse especially speaking of sacrificial, because it says Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to us. So it's talking about love between people of God, church members, Christians. It's a love between them that's a sacrificial type of love. How many know you have to make a sacrifice to love some people? Right? Some people you make more of a sacrifice to love than other people. But also, as Christians, The opportunity to love each other. You know, sometimes we, in the American church especially, we just come together on Sunday mornings, sometimes on Wednesday nights, and we have this hour or so together, and we have maybe a little bit of fellowship time, but we don't always spend the time with other believers to really show them the love that they deserve or they need in their lives because we live such busy, crazy lives, right? And so sometimes it takes a little bit of sacrifice on our part to sacrifice maybe some of the things, maybe it takes sacrificing a night at home when you feel like you haven't had a night at home to get together with people who love Jesus and just let iron sharpen iron. I'll tell you this, I I don't know of a time, there's been times when I've had meetings to get together or set up times to get together with other Christians that I'll be honest with you, at the time I was not interested in getting together with other Christians. But I'll also tell you this, every time I did that, I left thinking, man, I'm so glad I did that. You know, man, that was a great time. Man, we should do that more often. Man, I don't do this enough. So what I'm asking you to do, what Paul, I believe, is asking you to do is to show love to each other. Make a sacrifice. I think a sacrifice in our society looks like just spending time together. You know, wouldn't it be nice if a church would, like, reward you for spending time together? Wouldn't it be nice if, like, they gave you a gift card just for fellowshipping together? Man, a church should come up with that. It would be amazing. (laughs) <laughs> Life Group Summer Edition. Um, just throwing that out there. House rule number three. Don't indulge in sexual immorality or greed. Ephesians 5.3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. This is a big one. And I'm going to camp here for a while this morning because it's devastating what sexual immorality does to people. What does it mean? Let's talk about what it means first of all. The Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea, uh, which is, you probably guessed where we get our word pornography comes from. Uh, It covers all sorts of sexual experiences outside the heterosexual marriage. So let me say that again so you have a definition or understanding. Sexual immorality, as defined here, is any sexual experience outside of heterosexual marriage marriages. And so you can fill in the blank that covers a lot of different stuff that we see around our world. In fact, our world is saturated with sexual immorality. And the devastation it causes has left marriages, boys, girls, men, women, and families in its wake. It's devastating. And the reason I want to camp on this one a little bit this morning is I feel like there's been a pendulum swing in the Christian church. And when I was growing up, when I was in youth group, there was this thing called purity culture. I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but there's a lot of um, emphasis on not having sex before you were married. And uh, there's a lot of, there there were some unhealthy things that were done as part of the purity culture. And and I'm sorry for that if you went through that and that damaged you. I apologize Um, because I was one of those pastors. But I think I I tried to do it in a healthy way. But there's a pendulum swing because we went from that, um, you know, it was ultra, you know, just hammering on purity to an unhealthy extent, to over here to where I feel like anymore Christians just don't Seem to care. It's like this acceptable thing. You know, we'll live together before we're married. You don't know, you don't know the number of weddings that I've done where Christians are living together or sleeping together before they get married. And please, if I've married you, please I don't wanna I'm not condemning. This is not condemning this morning. This is, I just want to make a point here. That I probably the amount of weddings that I do probably about 5% are people that haven't haven't been living together or sleeping together. Now when I sit down to have a meeting with them the first time, we talk about in Pastor Barry and Pastor Donnie and Melie, We all do this. Um, we make sure that that's not going to be happening until the wedding night. From there on out. But the majority of people that I deal with, Christians, they just they just live together. You know, they just kind of follow the world. And the Bible here is saying, the Bible is saying not to uh, participate in sexual immorality. And we just kind of forget about it. We just kind of let it go. And uh, that's why I'm camping on it a little bit. You might say, man, what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody. We're not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Why in the world should, why should I stop? Why should I listen to that? Well, anytime you step outside of God's boundaries that he's set in any area of our life, I don't care if it's sexual or not, if you want to step outside of God's boundaries and God's commands, you're going to hurt yourself. And you're going to step into some serious consequences. Not with God. I'm talking like, just natural consequences of life, because that's how we were made to live. And for me, it's like this. It's like, I don't set up arbitrary rules for my kids to torture them. I don't just make rules to infuriate my children. I don't make rules to make their life miserable. I make rules for my kids so that they'll be safe and so they'll be successful. And that's exactly what God has done for us. But so many of us just You know, like, what I see in the church is I see people just ignoring those rules, just going out and kind of doing their own thing, but what they don't understand is the amount of consequence that comes with it. God cares about you. By continuing in sexual immorality, you're not only damaging yourself spiritually, but you're you're damaging yourself mentally, emotionally, and relationally. My wife deals with people on a regular basis who have been victims of uh, sexual immorality. Either victims, victims in one way or another of sexual morality. It's devastating. It can change a person's life. You know, the amount of people that fall to the sin is so great that, the you know, pornography, Pastor Bray talked about it a little bit last week, but it's become so pronounced even in the church that the numbers between the church and the world are no different. You know, statistics tell me that 65% of guys in this room this morning have watched porn in the last month. And the, the number in the world is the exact same. And that's even probably on the low end of things. And so, guys, it, it devastates people. And it's kept the church in bondage for so long. And it is so important that we address this issue and make sure that we're living in a place of purity and we're living for purity. And it's not a place of, you know, what, what happened in the purity culture is they, they made sex a dirty topic and a dirty thing. And it's not. It's an incredible thing. It was created by God. Thank you, Lord, for that. And he created, it. he created it just to be in the right bounds, right? It's fine. It's like, it's like Christmas music. Christmas music is great if it's in the month of December, but any other time, it's nauseating. Right? You just got to put it within the right context. But church, hear me this morning. This is not something to ignore. Because if you fall to sexual immorality, it's going to bankrupt you emotionally. It's going to bankrupt you mentally. It's going to bankrupt you relationally with the people that you love. And there's been families that have been torn apart by sexual immorality And church. Wake up. It's not because God wants to be a big bully to you. It's not because God doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because he wants you to live the very best life you can and live in freedom and be available and be there for everybody around you. That's what he wants for you. Amen? The end of this verse kind of tacks on, it feels like it's tacked on. It says, uh, oh, by the way, um, let there be no sexual, sexual morality, impurity, or greed among you, which to me always seemed very odd. Like, why would you, what does greed have to do with impure, impurity? I understand sexual morality; they go hand in hand, but why greed? Why does he throw greed in there? Well, greed uh, kind of stems from a place of lust, right? It's kind of like, Pastor Brady defines it so well, he calls uh, lust an over-desire for something. And so, you know, we think of it in sexual terms, but lust can be an overdesire for anything. And so when you couple that with greed, you get the understanding, oh, yeah, it's like greed is an overdesire. And if you're living in a place of greed, you're living in a place of, I'm never happy, I'm never satisfied, I always want more. You know, you're living in that place, and so you're never really living fully the life that God wants you to live. It has a destruction really all its own. House rule number four? Do determine what pleases God. Ephesians 5.10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. What's it take to please the Lord? What's that look like to please the Lord? Well, let's, I I want to tackle that question by giving you a verse that tells me the opposite. And then we'll work from there, okay? Romans 8.8 says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And it goes on in Romans 8 to talk about the fact that, and in Galatians 5 as well, that the, the flesh and the spirit are complete opposites, right? They're complete opposites. So, if we're in the flesh and we can't please God, then, and, and the spirit is opposite to the flesh, then if we're in the spirit, we please God, right? So that's the answer. How do we please the Lord? We know, but we, we can live in the spirit, right? We, take, we don't take our cues from what the flesh wants, okay? Because the flesh wants it wants uh, power, it wants recognition, it wants to be comfortable, it's greedy, okay? Those are the things that the flesh desires, so if we're not taking our cues from what we want, and really that's what the world lives for, we call it the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, that's what they live for, um, we live for the things of the Spirit. And so if you find yourself in those places where your mind is going to, those lust of the flesh type of things, then stop those thoughts, let, let Jesus renew your mind and put your mind on the Spirit. Let the Spirit do your thinking. Take your cues from what He asks you to do. I'll number five, don't live like fools. Don't live like fools. Ephesians 5.15, so be careful then how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Okay, so once again, how do we not live like fools? Well, it says it right here in this verse, but what's the opposite of a fool, of a foolish person? A wise person, right? A wise one. So, Proverbs 13.20, walk with the wise and become? Associate with fools and get in trouble. So, how do we keep from living like fools? Well, we associate ourselves with? wise people. We associate ourselves with good influences and we walk with them on a daily basis and that's what helps us to get to a place where we're living wise and we're not living foolish lives. And as we immerse ourselves in the word and we immerse ourselves with God's people who are wise, we get wisdom and we live in those places where we're not living like fools, but we're living wise. House rule number six. Don't be drunk with wine. Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the end of this verse contrasts the beginning, right? It says, don't be drunk with wine. This is another one of those verses that I read and for years scratched my head, because don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what, I, those, how do those things compare? I don't get it, you know? But as you dive in, you, the more I thought about it, the more I dived in, the more I studied it. Don't be drunk with wine. So don't be drunk. Don't get drunk with stuff. What does that do? What, what is it? What is it that people are getting drunk? What are they looking for? They're looking to fill a need, right? They're numbing out from life, and they're trying to fill something because they have a hole in them that just keeps gnawing at them that they cannot get rid of, and so they fill it up with alcohol to get drunk, so that they can forget, so that they get a little bit of a high, so they get some relief from that hole that keeps gnawing at them and talking to them. They're looking to be filled. That's what they're looking for. And they're filling it with alcohol, and I mean, you can put a lot of different things in there, but this one talks specifically about alcohol. So, this verse gives us the answer. It says, Fill, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, most of us, you, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you ask, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, camp in, you know, camp in 1993, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and like, no, that's not what I mean. Like, the Bible talks about being filled, be being filled, like it's a continual verb, like. Like you're leaking out, and you should be giving out the Holy Spirit wherever you go. So you're one of two things. You're either stale and uh, you're stinky, or you're giving out the Holy Spirit wherever you go. And if you're giving out the Holy Spirit, it stands to reason that you replenish the Holy Spirit in your life by spending time with Him, by asking Him to fill you on a daily basis. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so you're not going after those things and getting drunk with wine and getting drunk with, you know, whatever your thing is that you're trying to fill your hole with. This, Like I said, this one happens to be... Alcohol, but the, the, so the verse says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a lot cheaper, okay? It's a lot cheaper. <laughs> House rule number seven. Do give thanks to God. Ephesians 5.20. And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the, na- the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, give thanks for some things. Give thanks for the good things. Give thanks for everything. right give thanks for everything and I I feel like I've talked about this so many times and all of us have there are so many studies on the physical and mental benefits of being thankful it's crazy it's almost like God knew that it was good for us when he asked us to do it right well he did he made us but I want to I'll point to one of them real quick Um, one of I, I could go online and find you 800 studies about how thankfulness helps our brain chemistry and our mental health and um, just every part of our being, but here's one. One study done by psychologist Dr. Robert Edmonds and Dr. Michael McCullough found that participants who wrote about gratitude for 10 weeks were more optimistic, exercised more, and had fewer visits to the doctor than a group that was given the task to write about their irritations for the same 10 weeks. So the end of 10 weeks is a group that just wrote about optimism, wrote about the good things in their lives, exercised more, were healthier, and were more optimistic than those who focused on the negative. So being thankful, um, you know, I, I didn't mean to put this in, but it just kind of happened yesterday, and uh, since I didn't finish my sermon till midnight last night, I could put it in. No, that's not true. It just happened to happen yesterday, and I just thought about it, but yesterday, I, I, I've been really working on trying to be a more positive person. I've been really thinking about what words are coming out of my mouth lately, um, because I know what's coming out of my, health, my, my, my mouth starts down here, you know, so I, change my, I want God to change my heart. And so yesterday, I had a victory that I want to share with you. And I, I'm not saying this because I'm uber awesome or anything like that. Usually I struggle, but I had a, a victory yesterday. So we were in Altoona yesterday. We went to the, we, I had to meet a guy because I had sold something on Facebook. And so I had to meet up in Altoona. And since we're up there, we're going to go to the outlet malls in Altoona. And so sold I sold the, the thing that I would sell and then I went to the mall in Altoona, the outlet mall, and I got out and it was wet yesterday. And so I heard these bubbles kind of you know, something bubbling from the back of my car. And I just sat and I listened to it for a long time. I listened to it thinking, I just, I hope that's not what I think it is, you know. Um, but then I looked down at the tire and I, I investigated. Sure enough, there's a screw head sticking out of the bottom of my tire. And I'm like, ah, oh, no. You know, I, we, can't, we can't go to the mall. So now I'm going to have to go get my our tire repaired. So I called the tire repair shop and there was a big old tire right down the road. And I took it there. They were able to get it done in about half hour. Um, you know, so in that scenario, there's two ways I could have looked at that. And the, the, the me that is normal, my default me, would have looked at that and said, ugh, stupid tire. St- why in the heck did I even come up here? It's not even worth it right now to come up here. You know, now I'm going to have to go to the tire shop. It's going to take a long time. And it's going to cost me more money than I want to. And, and my day's shot, you know. That, that, yeah, that's pretty spiritual, right, Pastor Jerry? <laughs> right. <laughs> That would have been my default mode. Yesterday, I changed my thinking. And, uh, and God was working with me. And so um, I started seeing the blessings yesterday. Um, number one, we had lots of time. Normally, our schedule is pretty full. We didn't have to be anywhere until 7 o'clock that night. So this is 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I, or like 12. I had lots of time. Uh, number two, it cost me 34 bucks. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> Usually, you can't look at an at a auto place for under $150. You know what I mean? Um, I uh, we, we had an opportunity, they got it done in a half hour, instead of the hour and 15 minutes that they quoted me. We were in a place where there was a whole lot of shopping that could be done, so we just went and shopped, we just walked and burned some calories on our way to, uh, you know, go get some food and, and go shop and do some of those things, and so I got out of there, and you know what it did for me? Like, I, my blood pressure wasn't up, I didn't get stressed out, I was just relaxed, and I was calm, and I was cool, and I was collected, and on the inside, there was peace in my life, and For for my type of personality, that's 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 everything, (laughs) having peace, you know? So I had peace and it was just a great experience, and I thanked God for that. I think like God, thank you for helping me to be thankful in that situation. And you probably have those kind of situations in your life all the time during the day that you can go one way or the other one. And I just I want to challenge you, be thankful. Don't just let thankfulness be something that you practice in the month of November. Let thankfulness be a part of your spiritual practices, because it's a spiritual discipline. To be thankful, and man, the benefits are amazing. So that's why, again, he's saying, "Give thanks to God." House rule number seven. So, as I wrap up this morning, you know, there's there's a lot of house rules. We went through seven of those, and uh, that seems like a lot to remember. And then you add four more to those, and then you look throughout the Bible, and there's a whole lot of commands in the Bible. And um, we need to study those commands. We need to know those commands and that's good for us, and we should do that. However, God didn't create us to just walk around with a list of do's and don'ts that we're checking off during the day, right? He made it very simple. Jesus actually made it really simple. When the Pharisees came to him and said, or one of the the teachers came and said, what's the most important commandment? You know, and Jesus said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he said, the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the prophets, all the commandments can be tied up these two. I love that because it makes it easy because I have a bad memory and I can't remember stuff. So Jesus made it really easy. And God, Paul made it really easy right here in this chapter. I don't know if you caught it, but it's the very first verse that we read. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Everything that I just read to you this morning, everything that Pastor Barry talked about last week can be summed up in imitate God because you're his children. That word imitate, I talked about, it and I told you it comes, it's uh, mimetes, which is where we get the word mimic from. But it's also where we get the word mime from. The very first actors in the history of the world, mimes, right? And how do, you know, when you think about actors, you think about how they, how they prepare for a role, or really what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to imitate someone, right? That's what they do. And if you look at some of the modern actors of our day, I just thought it was really interesting and I did a little bit of looking around on the internet for a while as I was just preparing this message. Some of the actors, especially the ones that play real life individuals, um, I just think it's fascinating how they research their roles. Uh, Johnny Depp, for instance, in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a 1998 movie, um, he studied an author, Henry, uh, shoot, we just lost it, um, he studied this author, Hunter S. Thompson. Um, he studied him by, he literally moved into his basement for months. He sat and poured over it, and I don't know how that went down. You know, he'd just knock on his door one day, hey, I'm Johnny Depp. Can I live in your basement? I don't know how that went down. <laughs> but he spent hours in his basement just pouring over his writings because the guy was an author. He just, he lived with him. And why did he do that? I mean, it's, it's obvious. He, he lived with him so he could watch his mannerisms. You know, there's nothing like getting to know someone like living with them in close proximity, right? you get to know their nuances, you get to know the things that they do and the things that they like and the things that they don't like. It's just when there's proximity there and you're living with someone day in and day out, there's nothing like it, there really isn't. Val Kilmer, when he played Jim Morrison for the movie The Doors, spent so much time studying Jim Morrison and thinking like Jim Morrison that he literally had to undergo therapy to stop acting like Jim Morrison. Like he got so into his role and he got so in his headspace that he had to have therapy to get out of it because he became so much like Jim Morrison because he spent so much time studying him and intera- or, you know, finding out who he was and learning who he was and thinking about, thinking the way that Jim Morrison thought to the where he couldn't even find himself anymore. Imitate, imitate God. Living in close proximity with the Lord, studying his every move. What does God like? What doesn't God like? Walking with the Holy Spirit day in and day out. To where you're starting, when you look at something, you think like the Holy Spirit. Because you know the heart of the Holy Spirit. When you're walking in your day-to-day routine, you're making decisions that line up with the Word. Because you've spent so much time studying the Word. You know the heart of God. And you know how He would act. And you know what He would do. And you know what pleases him, and you know what displeases him. taste. That's what it's all about. You don't need to memorize a list of rules. You need to know the rules, yes, absolutely. But you don't have to go around with a list of the rules. You need to imitate the Lord by spending time getting to know the Lord. There's no way to substitute time with Jesus there's no way to substitute that. There's nothing that you can do. There's no shortcut. You can spend your entire life studying the Bible, and you'll know a lot about God. You know, even Val Kilmer, he knew a lot about Jim Morrison. But Johnny Depp, man, he knew the guy that, he knew Hunter. He knew who he was. I can know a lot about God by studying the Bible, and, and please, please, by all means, study the Bible a lot. But I can only know God by spending time with God, by hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. Not, not memorizing a list of rules, but mimetes, mimetes, mimic. Learn him, study him, spend time with him so you know him, so that you know his heart. Amen? With no substitute for it. Let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, what an awesome group this morning that we have here. Lord, I thank you for the individuals in this place that whose hearts are just Coming after you. They love you, Lord. Maybe they get hung up once in a while and stuff, but they love you. I pray, Jesus, that you would take these house rules that we've talked about the last couple of weeks and you would just drill them down in their hearts. But even more than that, Lord, I pray, God, that when it comes to their time with you, that nothing would get in between that. That, Lord, that they would seek you, because your word says if we seek you, we find you. Lord, that you would be the first thing on our minds when we wake up in the morning, the last thing on our hearts as we go to bed at night. That, Lord, we would fall in love with you because there's no substitute for loving you, Lord. There's no substitute for spending time. And So give us the time. Lord, help us to make the time in our hearts to spend time with you. Father, I pray as we go out of this place this morning that those around us, God, who don't know you will recognize that we've spent time with you because of how much of the Holy Spirit is being poured out and overflowing onto them. God, let everything we say, let everything we do reflect who you are. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters, to spend time together, to encourage you, to lift you up, and to worship you, most importantly. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, God, we'll continue to put our hearts and our minds, and have our focus and attention on you, and watch every place you want us to go, and watch for everything you want us to do, and listen to hear what you're saying, so we know how to act, and we know how to We love you, Jesus, and it's your holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Have an awesome 4th of July week. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.